Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We are your companion on the journey to grow your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've got a free email course on our website, shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course with practical steps on overcoming your fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Welcome back for part two of the final episode in our series on the types of psychotherapy that are out there. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, Part one had lots of information. We wanted to break this up into two parts uh, just to give your listening ears a little bit of a break so they could take a rest. So welcome back to the next part. Uh, Stay tuned for all of the information that we're going to provide on. uh, We're finishing up the series on EMDR, somatic experiencing, brain spotting, neurofeedback, and EFT tapping. Thanks for joining us. In this way, to circle back, this is kind of, as therapists, what we're talking about when we talk about interventions and theories, because we're talking about you with depression, then we realize your head's not really connected to your body with this. I mean, you're kind of like disconnecting all the time. And then we start going through our mind, like, what kind of intervention would help this so we can get back on track? And, and that's kind of what an EMDR thing is. And for those of you who are like, okay, EMDR is not for me, I don't want to like <laughs> curl over to the fetal position. That doesn't happen all the time. It can. Another example would be, I remember one lady, she, she was referred to me because of a, a just a single traumatic event. And, and we're kind of differentiating when we talk about trauma between like a single event and then something that has happened multiple times. Like if you grew up in an abusive environment, I mean, like every day was normal for you. That was abusive. We treat that a little bit differently with EMDR. But with a single incident, um, this lady was in a hotel room, woke up. And somebody was there that she didn't know, and she thought that this person was going to kill her. And so she freaked out and was like, you know, having panic attacks ever since. You know, it makes a lot of sense. As we were processing through it, that moment, um, as we were going through that memory, the moment where she saw the guy, I had her pay attention to like, what are your thoughts and what are your feelings that are happening when that's going on? She busted out saying, oh, no, I'm going to die or he's going to kill me, something like that. And then um, when we turned off the EMDR, she was like, yeah, that's where I mean, it's just I'm, I'm terrified as he was going to kill me. I said, OK, let's go back in to that moment with that conscious awareness. It's no longer just something that happened to you and you're reacting to it. Now it's in your conscious awareness. And then when she did that, she was like, wait a minute. No, he's not. He just wants my money. He's just taking my getting stuff from my purse. He never killed me. He never like as soon as I saw him, he ran away. Like he clearly didn't want to be seen or known. And so all of a sudden that new awareness, like the pain and the the fear from that moment was released and a new awareness of what was really happening. You can kind of see a little bit of the narrative therapy in that that's beginning to happen. The story changed from he was going to kill me to no, he just wanted my money. And all of a sudden that was a lot safer. It's like as soon as that understanding happened, she was like, oh, it's not so scary at all anymore. Yeah, therein lies the part of the idea of processing, right? Because she was there, she had the experience, her mind was absolutely stuck on the terror of that one scenario. And after what EMDR did when you were working with her, provided her mind the ability to access the surrounding data because it distracted her from that terror for a second. And when her mind got hold of that, 
she was like, oh, here's the greater context. And she processed it, and it would kind of relieved it. Exactly. Yeah. And I share that in terms of processing because, you know, we say like, well, what does that even mean to process something? I think it's, you know, when somebody's experiencing something that is just so um, painful, heavy, intense, whatever it is, you can explain to them that information. You can say that like, oh, this is the truth of the situation. And they'll be like, I know that, but I still feel this way. That therein lies the problem that EMDR tries to and effectively fixes is it helps you to experience that, release that feeling so that you can shift over into that true factual information and actually experience it. So that one part, I guess, is that's the great part of EMDR. The part where it's not, where it's kind of contraindicated. In other words, don't do it unless you really have specialized training in the sense that you are, you know what you're doing with it for years, that kind of thing. Um, there's one one place for sure is people that struggle with um, dissociating. It's like tuning out um, people that have multiple personalities. Um, you don't you don't just you don't just do EMDR with with that situation. And the reason why is because what that kind of indicates, you know, in your example, Aaron, you've got this single event thing that's going on, and then she can process that and realize like, oh, this is why I'm terrified. What happens if you are not paying attention as a clinician? to the deeper nature of things that could be like 2,000 things that are terrifying and all of a sudden you scratch the surface on one which activates a trigger response to all of the 2,000 and in a worst case scenario somebody that's doing a horrible job with EMDR or just doesn't do a good job helping people understand what they're getting into you can you can end up in the hospital psychiatrically with this. It's possible, and I'm I'm saying this is why this is this is actually why it's a powerful intervention. It is real. This is not hocus pocus. Yeah, and we do it. When, I mean, Nathan and I talk about this all the time. We do get a lot of referrals from people who have had previously terrible experiences with EMDR, where they're trying to process through something, and then they have something like what you described happen. And now, like, they, they're worse off um, from the treatment of it. And so we have to, like, somehow build a bridge to, re- to recover some of that trust and use EMDR to repair some of that bad experience um, with EMDR. So it is out there. But, I mean, it really just takes a good therapist who's attentive, who is going to do a thorough history of, of your life to understand, okay, so if we're going to touch this nerve or if we're going to deal with this one issue, like what else might be down there that we need to know about so that we can be careful around that. And it's not it's not that we're going to be able to know everything. But I mean, if we're talking about like a car accident or, you know, a, a home invasion like this, we need to know, like, is there a base of trauma? You know, were you um, assaulted a bunch of times when you were a kid? Were you bullied, picked on? Are we going to be scratching that surface? So anyway, you know, doing a decent job interviewing people, a therapist um, of how it works and just making sure that they are really careful and concerned with your safety and stabilization with this tool is very important. Yes. And I want to be clear that like the vast majority of the time EMDR goes fine. So we're sharing with you some more extreme stories and that kind of thing. Like insider secrets, if you will. Yeah, right. So it's also why for for some of you folks out there that are normal and the therapists are going like, see, that's why I'm not going to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah, but the truth is, it's like, well, 
I mean, for you therapists, you're just following your intuition a lot and, and the good intake that you've done, right? You know your person, you know how that's going. And EMDR can help somebody move drastically and dramatically in an extremely short period of time. And the other thing I do, and I'm, I know that you do this as well, is it can be done more intermittently. You can do it this session, talk about stuff for like two months, and then go, let's get back to that EMDR. It doesn't have to be necessarily every single session. It just speeds some processes up. But I think in doing that kind of bridges over to somatic experiencing pretty well. Because, so Peter Levine invented this. Um, that's straight up. He totally did that. He's an interesting character because he's a therapist, but he's a doctor. He has, he's a doctorate in physiology. And so... He looks at people totally different. He looks at you as this energy movement person. Like your body's moving energy and moving energy and moving energy and moving energy. It's coming in, it's getting released, it's coming in, it's getting released. And then you get traumatized and it stops. I would say, so if Carl Rogers is this humanistic, like I just want to care about you and connect with you and won't you be my neighbor kind of a, of a fellow, <laughs> Peter Levine is similar in his nature but he's looking, he's like watching and studying all these micro movements that your your eyes, the corner of your mouth, your um, shoulders, your body is doing. Because he's looking for where is that energy being stored and being released or being contained as we're talking about something. It's really fascinating. Uh, yeah, when I first ran into him years ago, kind of an obtuse way, but... The long story short is this doctor was in Colorado and he was sharing a story about... And Peter Levine's in Colorado... And um, he was sharing a story. He was, and he's a, he's a, was the clinical director of a, of a head and neck type of place that a lot of his people had whiplash. They'd come in from car wrecks and that kind of thing. And uh, one of the nurses came to him and goes, hey, for our next study, can you bring Peter Levine in? And he's like, what? What do you mean Peter Levine? He goes, well, you know who he is? He goes, I've heard of him. He goes, at that time, I'd kind of heard that that Levine had done some stuff. He goes, I didn't really understand what he did. Um, and he goes, and the truth is I just focused on my rounds and went around the clinic and did that. He goes, but I got to choose my case that I wanted Levine to work on. He said, I knew this guy for, for, for about three years. He had severe whiplash that we had been treating. And he goes, and I had a good relationship with him. So I thought, eh, this guy will give me some good feedback of what actually goes on. So he asked him to be the, the guinea pig for Levine. And the guy was like, sure, I'll do it. So the guy shows up to go do that, and all these nurses and doctors are standing around, and he and this one doctor that's reporting this is just said, I just kept doing my rounds. I kept walking. He goes, every time I walk by, Levine's walking around this guy like he's doing circles, like he's circling his prey, and he's poking him, like poke, poke, poke here, there, that kind of thing. And he goes, and then I hear like people going, ooh, oh, like, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I can't wait to talk to this this patient. So, you know. The patient comes back in, um, like whenever he did, and he's like, so how did it go? What's going on? And the patient goes, I actually think I'm fine. He goes, what do you mean you're fine? He goes, yeah, I think I'm done. I don't need to do this anymore. He goes, wait, wait, wait. We had all these things that we're going to be doing treatment-wise. What do you mean we're, you're done? And the guy's like, I mean, watch this. And he started moving all over the place in ways that he couldn't, shouldn't be able to move. And he's like, what is going on? Because he knew medically that was not possible. And all of a sudden, in like an hour, you know, this guy's fine. And so this doctor then goes to Levine. And um, shortening the story, he said, what you don't know about me is he goes, I have a glass eye. 
and I have a pronounced tick because he's on a podcast and he was talking about it. He goes, you can't see that. He goes, because I got in a car wreck when I was five years old. So he goes, he meets with Levine. Levine goes, he goes, does the whole circle in his prey thing. He's walking around me, looking at stuff. And he's poke, poke, poke. And he's like, all of a sudden, my body corkscrewed down to the ground. And as that was happening, I was having these memory flashbacks of being in that car wreck. Crap that I haven't, you know, thought of forever. And I'm convulsing on the floor. And he goes, don't get me wrong. I probably could have stopped it if I wanted it. But I intuitively knew that I just needed to go with it. And he's like, so I'm doing all this. And by the way, this took place in two hours. He goes, and my back pain's gone. My tick's gone. And he goes, and literally two hours. Yeah, and there are some videos that we've seen of this kind of thing happening. Um, it's fascinating. If uh, The way I, it's, I mean, it's crazy because it's like, what, what, what is going on? How is this happening? I think one of the best ways that I um, have have understood it that I like to describe to people is like this idea of a car accident where if you think about um, just if you're driving in the car, sorry, <laughs> trigger warning for those of you who have been in this situation, maybe you're still recovering from it. Um, this is a sore spot. <laughs> this might bring up some uh, flashes of, <laughs> of panic or trauma for you. But imagine driving in your car and you're about to rear end somebody or somebody's going to hit you in front of you, directly in front of you. Your natural reaction is to like put your hands and your arms up and maybe like put your foot out to hit the brake. But let's imagine you didn't get enough time to do that. And so your body might be stuck in sort of a half protected state and your leg maybe never really got to stretch out. Your arms really didn't get to get out to protect you. And then you were hit. Okay, so you can have all kinds of back and shoulder and maybe hip or leg pain and from the accident and do some physical therapy and all that kind of stuff. And from the somatic experiencing perspective, what's happened is your body got stuck in a motion that it never was allowed to complete. So sometimes what you need to do is um, to bring up that memory and at just the right moment in that space where you half curled up, but then you were you were not allowed, basically, by the car accident, you were not allowed to continue the motion, to complete the motion. In that space, you complete the motion. Um, you, your body releases, you, you can stretch your arms out, your legs out, and all of a sudden, it's like your body says, oh, that's what I've been trying to do this whole time. Oh, it feels so good. It's like being stuck in a car, you know, driving on a road trip, and then you get out and you stretch and it hurts for a while. But also then your body's like, oh, it feels so good to have movement and space and you feel good again. In a lot of ways, the body has released whatever was going on. It was allowed to complete some motion that it never got to, and that brings healing. Yeah, essentially, you know, and, and you can see a theme here that we're talking about processing. And Levine's looking at this like your body has to complete the circuit. And there's a lot of training that goes into this. I mean, EMDR is, is really, there's a lot less training for the EMDR. It's a more specific intervention. I think that Levine might be like, I don't, I don't know if he would call somatic experiencing a full theory of therapy, mm -hmm. um, but maybe. Um, and so there's a lot of training too. I want to say it's like 1,200 hours or something like that. There's a lot of training in watching, noticing, observing people in the smallest micro little details that you really have to know. Yeah. And so this is not something that when you're looking for somebody that does this, you want somebody that that they are trained in this. There's certain things that that, that have to be looked at. But I can tell you, if you 
if you do things that are repetitive or that are like back stuff, if you have any at all pain that's related to some kind of accident, like meaning like a traumatic thing that you really don't understand and it's not really healing well, honestly, somatic experiencing could be your thing. Yeah, there, he even works with children who have had like a traumatic birth um, where like, you know, a, a, an arm was, a arm was stuck or um, something happened at birth where like nothing medical happened to damage the, the child, but like there was an impact and the, the baby felt it. And maybe since that moment, maybe they experienced a sense of just physical pain or, or um, how would you say it, like a physiological, like, I don't know, this just feels really bad. They have no words to it. Their body just is experiencing the trauma um, and it just needs to be released. Because because when you're a baby, you have no consciousness, you have no awareness, uh, self-awareness of what's happening. Your body just experiences it, holds on to it, and then is traumatized. So something like somatic experiencing can be really helpful in releasing that. Yeah, maybe to to use an example of that, of not of that, but to put more of a finer point on it. If you were born and they took a rope and tied it around your body and had your knee up to your stomach and you just left that rope, and you had one leg and you just left that that your knee tied to your stomach for like two years, why the crap would you do that, right? But anyways, um, you would not know how to move that leg. You would not know how. Your, when your body went to try to do that, when it normally would try to do that to figure its, 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 it out, itself out, that would not be accessible. So there would be a cutoff essentially with that. But you would have never thought that. It, an accident didn't really happen. Somebody else did that to you in my, my horrible example. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening at home, please do not do that to anybody. <laughs> but the idea is your, your mind needs to be able to connect in a certain way. And what you're seeing is, as I mentioned in the beginning, this idea of understanding the neuroscience behind this. It, these, these interventions kind of all overlap and connect that way. One, one pitch for Levine, by the way, he writes a book called Waking the Tiger. And that's probably the only book, uh, besides maybe the epiphanies or the realizations you might get reading The Body Keeps the Score, um, but Waking the Tiger is probably the only book that you on your own could go get and process, actually work on your own a little bit to process some trauma. And he does a pretty good job in the book um, helping you to correlate um, when when to go get a therapist type of thing. If you try that and you're like, okay. And so, but we need to move on. Um, the, next, the next one we're up on our awesomeness here is brain spotting, which is very similar actually to EMDR. The difference with brain spotting, and it's kind of, to be honest, it, it's kind of more simple. Um, brain spotting is focusing on a field of vision. So what the therapist will do is they'll they will be watching you essentially um, when you're when you're talking about stuff. And what they what they're watching, generally speaking, is your eyes. So when you start to think or talk about like not maybe talk about but but to consider a problem in your life, something that's, and, and not only that, but something that's hard, something that's emotional. They will watch where your eyes go, and then they will, they will essentially ask you to hold that focus. They'll just ask you to hold it. Don't move your eyes. Keep them right there. You know, look at my finger because, you know, whatever. Cause they, and that's only to focus where they saw your eyes focusing when you were thinking that thought. And the idea is, is 
um, behind it, I believe, as far as I understand, is you are expressing all the emotion and connection and process that's that's occurring in that field of your brain because your eyes kind of in your brain they crisscross your left eye moves the connection moves across to the right and then back down to the right side of your right hemisphere of your brain right yeah and your right eye moves across to the left hemisphere of your brain and they kind of connect in the back of your brain so there's there's all this stuff that your eyes are connected to in your in your brain that kind of help because your your eyes kind of download data during the day like they just do that which is why you have sometimes some weird dreams of like <laughs> door handles because <laughs> maybe you couldn't open it that well I don't know anyway it's just a something that comes back to you in the middle of the night while you're dreaming in the same way the field of vision is okay focus right here and and all of this stuff can kind of come out um, and it's generally pretty shocking to folks. But when you're processing that, it's like, well, like we've been talking about, it's done. I mean, there's only so much you can process. You're talking about history. It had a starting point and an ending point. And it's not happening now. You know, that's why you're you're sitting in an office somewhere. It's not happening now. So the idea is just to kind of express that the same way that you'd push toothpaste out of a tube. There's only so much in it. Um, yeah, one uh, kind of a, a maybe a, a common example I would give is um, I, I remember walking somewhere. I don't remember where I was. Just was on a walk somewhere, and I smelled a smell that was uh, when I was growing up. We lived next door to some. I don't remember where they're from. Some uh, Asian neighbors, and their cooking reminded like they were always cooking stuff. It smelled really good, and I would play with the neighbor the neighbor kids. And so uh, that smell of that Asian food specifically was connected for me with that whole environment, those people. So I remember being on this walk, you know, several years ago and smelled the same kind of a smell. And all of a sudden it's like I was taken back to being a kid, you know, going out. And and I remember asking, like, can you come out and play? You know, kind of a thing. It's like that, where when you crisscross certain things, just the right time, the right space. And, and with brain spotting, we're talking about looking at a certain uh, in a certain field of vision or a certain spot. When that crisscrosses with those memories, all of a sudden it can be released and you experience it instantly, just like a smell can bring back all these memories. Yeah, and brain spotting works a bit more directly um, with, the, with the internal family systems model also, as far as like the whole parts, the idea of parts and that kind of thing. Because you can, they, the overlap of that is like, oh, that same field of vision will be connected also to a part. And so you can, you can speak more to that. It can be actually really cool. But um, Time frame wise we probably should move on to neurofeedback. Neurofeedback, whoo boy, that one's also super cool. Um, essentially what happens with the with with what's called the the granddaddy of neurofeedback, because you can and I say it like this because <laughs> neurofeedback has become not it's popular and you and some of you might be going, What are you talking about? I haven't like never heard of this. I mean I might have heard of it, but I don't know anybody who's done it. Well part of the problem is is that there's not a lot of clinicians that do it. But in order to expedite the process of treatment for that, there's been, rather than having the granddaddy like this full-on machine, you sit with the doctor, they've got all these um, connections they've put 
on your head, quite frankly. Just like, just like in the movies or whatever, like, let's connect you to this machine and then we'll like transport you somewhere or transport all of your brain contents into my brain kind of a thing. Yes, that is what it looks like. <laughs> it does look like that. Like they've, because of the, there's such a great need and it's so effective, they've tried to miniaturize it essentially. And so you can actually get machines that are much smaller than that and do, and, and maybe you can do it in a regular therapy office somewhere. And there's, and they're still helpful. Um, I have talked to neurofeedback folks and they will argue about what's more helpful between those two things. But suffice it to say, just picture what happens is, is that there's, um, the, uh, you as the consumer sit down, you've got all these things now on your head and like you see this kind of a game on a screen, on a screen and there's like seven or eight boats. Um, and they're just, the boats are just there and, the person comes in and goes, I would like you to focus on the red boat and make the red boat win. And you're like, mm, okay. Wait, how much am I paying you for this? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so um, you focus really hard and you get, you get the red boat to win. Well, what's happening really, and that's just the interface, what's actually happening is all of those different boats are actually brain waves. So all those different waves, the other person has assessed things and has seen that you have this brainwave that's not really working like it should be working in these different situations. And so we are going to help you make it work right um, by getting you to focus your own brainwaves. Um, it's pretty freaking brilliant, actually. And, and I mean, I, I, I want to tell a brief story about how, like, when I heard about it, I was like, what? And I started looking around for people who did that to refer to and that kind of thing. Um, I actually looked into getting trained. That's a whole other thing. But um, what I learned is there's this there's this person in um, New York somewhere, somewhere over New England. Anyway, long story short, the diagnosis of this lady was that she had seven different personalities, multiple personalities. She had severe major depression. So she only left her house um, to go to her therapist's office, and then she would get groceries on her way home in that moment, like one time a week. Uh, and then they were trying to move it to twice a week or something like that. <laughs> Just but, to get her out of the house. Right, right. But she wouldn't do it. <laughs> and then cancel. Come out to my office. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> and then cancel. That would be the worst case if you, were, you weren't there at that time. Anyway, so, um, so shortening this up, they do neurofeedback on her. The, um, and this is what happens, okay? So... And I'm, and I'm going to go into more of the, a little more of the treatment um, amount of times, you know, that, that they've learned about neurofeedback of how often to do it. But <laughs> she essentially, over the course of neurofeedback, which, by the, which is actually pretty short, we're talking probably six months-ish or less-ish, and um, her personality's, that personality issue kind of dies down, meaning like I know that she probably still struggle with it somewhat. Depression is gone. She enters into nursing school and graduates at the top of her class as a nurse over in New England. And that was after about six months. Um, it's like, what? So then, you know, imagine <laughs> we're all hearing this as therapists, you know, like this is this is probably 2008 that I that I was hearing this uh, case study, which was, I'm sure, older than that. That This is what happens, by the way, as a therapist. You hear this stuff. You're like, I want to do that. I want to learn how to do that. You know, like, that's really cool. And, um, and because they can demonstrate that before and after and all that kind of thing. What they have learned in 
in neurofeedback is that is how long to do it in, in general what they found is that if they do because they get they get actually you get change actually very quickly you get change like in the like one or two sessions you're getting change the problem is the change does not quote unquote stick unless you reinforce it for about at least i think it was 40 times and there's sometimes where with some issues they can get you out of there in 25 times but um i say that because they're not necessarily just trying to get your money and i don't know to what extent insurance pays for it there just is a certain amount of times that they know like if we stop early this you will go right back to what you were doing in two months or in whatever yeah if you think about it from like a a patterned behavior standpoint and and by the way i think this is different with kids than it is with adults with kids is probably a lot fewer because you don't have as as much pattern reinforcement with it but if it's a behavior pattern you've thought this way felt this way behaved this way over and over and over and over and over, if you're trying to change that, it's going to take a lot of reinforcement to change that. You can't just do it a couple times and be like, oh, this is my new habit, right? You have to reinforce that. So I think that's what you're saying. Um, Can you tell us briefly what issues uh, neurofeedback can treat? And then let's move over lastly to EFT. Yeah, there's, well, a neurofeedback person would probably tell you most issues when it comes to mental health, so anxiety. And I would say with trauma, um, that's a bit different. It's it's more because it's more focused on how your brain waves are supposed to be. Um, so they don't really look at at you in the context of of necessarily as a diagnosis of like anxiety disorder or whatever it happens to be. They they understand that, but they'll go like, well, let's just see what your brain's doing, and then they try to like analyze what's happening. So the, the other thing that they this is, and this is honestly a problem. It's really frustrating, and it's just true that. They need you off medication in order to see how your brain is malfunctioning with the, with the brain waves naturally, organically. Right. So, the unfortunate reality of that is for those of you out there that have got like some really significant stuff that are, you're trying to manage, and you have to be all the way off that. That's not that's that could not. be like putting your life on hold for <laughs> several months and just to wean off of the medication because that has been helping you function. Yeah, and that. It just stinks. So I had a person that I was going to refer um, that had some significant disorders that were not, that were like, they were hallucinating and they were seeing things. And I talked to this uh, neurofeedback person. She goes, yeah, we can work with that. It's not, that's not out of the realm. Um, Because we were talking about different kind of flashes of anxiety and and torment that this person would have. She was like, yeah, we can, we can work with that. She said, but she's going to have to get off her antipsychotics. And I was like, okay, not gonna happen. I don't know that's going to happen, actually. So that is a big downside um, and probably why sometimes people like go, never mind, I'm not going to do that. I know it also works with ADHD, um, people that have struggled with that. Uh, those brain waves, it's funny to hear you hear you describe it that way, like non-functioning or malfunctioning. I just think of like it's a, it's a part of your brain that's like limp, that's supposed to be strong. It's supposed to be working, activated, but it's like, you know, <laughs> that's what, literally what's happening in your brain. And you probably hear that noise. You're like, what is that? That was your brain. That part of your brain not not working. Oh, and, then, and then you do the neurofeedback and it's like, it comes to life. That's what happens. Um, yeah. I didn't know either that Aaron's brain made those sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the more you know. Yeah. So that's just interesting. Um, but closing up here, we're going to talk about um, emotionally focused tapping. So 
EFT. Now, if you go onto the web, what you'll find is that there is a PDF, I believe, still out there somewhere, like just sitting there, that's a 45-page long document that kind of goes into all these different ways that you can, you can do EFT. So what it essentially is, it remember back, and again, this is why these are all similar, the, the nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system and your sympathetic nervous system, all that stuff, your gas and your brake. Your sympathetic nervous system is your gas. It's like your acceleration towards something or away from something. And your parasympathetic is your brake, like, nope, not going to do it. You know, we're stopping right now. And um, what EFT does is it, it focuses you by tapping, literally tapping on your body in these different points. And essentially what, what the belief is, is that it's overloading your nervous system and causing it to restart. So think of a computer, okay? Your computer, and we've all had this happen. Or your, or your cell phone, like that too, right? <laughs> yeah, like, well, when it's... Smartphone to- now. Yeah, and it, when, they, when they basically just stop, you're, try- you're hitting it, you're banging on the thing, you're pushing buttons, nothing's happening, and you're like, ah, load the page. <laughs> <laughs> just do it. So you basically, for computer, control, all delete, or you just restart the thing. And what happens? It's all of a sudden fine. Like, and we're back, you know, type of thing. It, it, it reminds me, too, like some days I'm just like tired, my head's foggy or whatever, and like I can take a quick power nap, and I come back online, I'm like, woo, here we go, we're, we're back. I, I, um, so, so it's, it is, it is a certain order. You start with your wrists and then you move up what I call circling the eyes. So you go, you're, you tap on your temples and you're, and you're tapping like, I will show people in there with me. It's hard, it's hard to do that over audio because it's like changes your volume. You can just turn it up or turn it down and be like, well, you're tapping hard. Turn it down, brother. <laughs> anyway, so, but just suffice it to say that you definitely feel it. It's not like this light tap. And you go to your temples, and you go above your about your eyebrows, then below your eye sockets, then below your nose, then below your lower lip, and then down. You find your collarbone, and you slide your hands down a little bit to the soft spot right below your collarbone, and you tap there. What I have people do is notice when it feels weird. Just notice when it feels weird. And the thing that's happening that I have them do in between that is to breathe. Take a deep breath before we move from your hands to your temples. A deep breath before we move, you know, above your eyes. And what it's doing is, is it's, it's well, it's restarting your nervous system. But the other thing is, um, it's getting you focused out of whatever else was going on and helping you to breathe. Because your heart actually sends four times the amount of signals to your brain than your brain does to your heart. So your brain goes, we're totally screwed. And your heart's like, oh my gosh, we're screwed. <laughs> like, and everything just keeps going. But if you can control the heart and the brain goes, we're still screwed. The heart goes, nah, I think we're all right. 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 <laughs> so, <laughs> so Nathan's brain is doing that. And mine is going, <laughs> and why are you still listening to the Shrinking Podcast? <laughs> At this point, it's for pure entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, shagalaga. Yeah, anyway, so... What um, what happens is, like, I'll give you one, one good example of, of working with a person. I never met this person before in my life. The hospital referred them to me. They came right out of a traumatic situation, uh, had gone to a battered women's shelter. The hospital, like, was like, no, well, I think you can do this over there. They, they come in. To, she comes in to see me. She's had basically a horrible experience in the last probably few years of her life. And she's sitting on the edge of my couch, I mean, like, ready to run. Like, she doesn't want to be there. 
Um, she doesn't know totally why she's there, and she's probably thinking to herself, this was a bad move, because other thing, batter woman shelter, I'm a guy, so there's a good chance <laughs> that some dude was not nice to her, um, and now she's in the room by herself with a dude. Like, and I get... Uh, aware of these things, and we we have to take those into account all the time. In shorts and flip flops, by the way. <laughs> yeah, maybe, probably not flip flops back then. Anyway, so I just say, I hey, I can tell that you're really nervous. Um, let's before we start talking, let's just do something that's completely weird. It's going to seem totally weird, and just do what I do. And I start tapping on my wrist, tapping whatever. We go through this process. We do it twice, and she collapsed into the couch, and she goes, "Oh my gosh." If I don't do anything else besides that, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Sold. (laughs) Right. In general, the rule of thumb is is that if you had a thought or whatever that made you nervous at about like an eight or a nine, um, emotionally focused tapping could take you down to about a four. Three or a four to where like so you you move down and obviously you're we're making those those are subjective numbers, but that's kind of what people in generally feel. So it's kind of giving you more margin to function. It's not really healing the the root issue or resolving some core trauma or or experience you had. It's just giving you more margin to be able to function. But for those of you out there that have got some anxiety. I'll tell clients this, like that, where they they get triggered by something, and they're like, "Okay, I just need to get out of here." And if this happens to you at work, and you're in an office, um, and I say that because you don't want to be viewed by things. You can go to the restroom and do this in the restroom. Um, I mean, if you're a different work in a different place, it's just about being private, because you know and I know that. You're going to look weird doing this. Uh, you're not going to want people looking at you doing this. Right. That's why we saved it for the very end of the podcast. You're like, oh, this is going good. Wow, that's a great information. Really smart. Oh, that's scientific. Wait, what? what is this crap here? <laughs> tapping. So you want me to do a little tap and tap, tap, do you? Um, and notice, too, I said a 45-page document. Um, there are other places to tap, man. There, There's a lot of other things associated with that. There's a whole I, – I have just – narrowed it down to where like that's kind of what I focus on um they also they have one more that's a popular one that I um that I generally don't do but do sometimes call they call it the bra strap tap you essentially give yourself a hug and you're tapping on the sides of your body around your rib cage so with with that um Jiminy I mean we have done a lot of these just now yeah, thank you for hanging in there. Um, I know this is probably a lot of information. Maybe you consumed it all at once, but really it's the kind of thing that maybe you listen to and it's good to have it in the back of your mind. It's good to have filed away so that at some point, maybe it's right now, maybe it's not. Maybe it's in six months or maybe it's down the line a couple of years from now. You can always return to this podcast or you can um, grab this information that you listen to and find what it is that you need in order to give you the help that you're looking for. There's a lot of great things out there, a lot of great tools and approaches. And you, if you are if you know what to look for and you know what's going to work best for you and you, you have an idea of the tools that uh, might be effective for you, you can get help much more easily. And that's what we want. We want to provide tools and resources that will make things easier for you. Yeah, really appreciate your attention on this. And hopefully this was really helpful to everybody that was listening. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, 
or wherever you get your podcast to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening. 